You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. Just verses 1 and 2 of Romans chapter 12. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray before you get seated. Lord God, we thank you for your very tangible uh, presence here this morning. We know that you inhabit the praises of your people. And Lord, we don't just praise you in song, but we praise you in announcements. We praise you in, uh, in uh, reading the text here from Romans. We praise you in, uh, in uh, uh, expounding upon that. And so inhabit that as well, Lord. Pray just that my speech wouldn't be with wisdom of words or persuasive speech, but a demonstration of your Holy Spirit and your power. We give you full permission to challenge us, uh, to invade our lives, to change us, to rebuke us and correct us, Lord. Even myself, as I teach, Lord, I know that you, you want to change me first, and so do that in me as well. Uh, we worship you in Romans 12, 1 and 2, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Uh, last week, we did an in-depth study in verses, uh, verse 1 of Romans chapter 12, one of the most popular verses in the New Testament. And uh, we just looked at Paul's pleading with the Romans, uh, with the brethren there, as verse 1 says, that they would offer their bodies up as living sacrifices, that they would essentially be all in for Jesus as General William Booth, the, the founder of the Salvation Army, said, you know, as he was asked, what's the secret to your success in the midst of such a wicked world over here in England? And he says, well, you know, I believe that it is Jesus Christ has all of me. And so we just looked last week, you know, does Jesus have all of you? Have you offered your body up entirely as a living sacrifice? All of your members, all of your appendages, as Romans 6 says, eyes, ears, mouth, nose, head and shoulders, knees and toes. Is it all Jesus's? If not, man, may he convict you even right now as we just brush over this verse to be all in for him. But we notice there, there's a key word there, and it's the word therefore in verse 1. And, and if you're new here to the church, we teach you how to study the Bible. And whenever you see the word therefore, you got to ask yourself, what's it there for? What's it there for? And what it means is look at the context of everything you've read so far. So far in the book of Romans, we looked, we've looked at the depravity of man and how it's a radical depravity. There is none right with God. There is none innocent. There's no one that can work their way to heaven. Not one person, Romans chapter 3 says. There's no one that will get to heaven by works of the flesh or trying really hard or pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps. But they will be saved by grace, by the grace of God. Uh, through faith, by resting in what Jesus has done for them on the cross. And then the rest of their life, Romans uh, verses 6 through 8 tells us, the rest of their life, you will be being pressed away from the wicked system of the world and being made more like Jesus. And even then, it's not by pulling yourselves up by your own bootstraps. But then, even then, it's by grace through faith that God transforms you more and more into the image of Christ. Uh, in chapters 9 through 11, we've looked at God's sovereignty and his plan in saving the Gentiles and the Jews alike. And so in, in retrospect, looking at chapters 1 through 11, Paul has shown us God's great 
mercies that have been poured out on us. Even though we are wicked, we are perverse, we are foul, we are debased. Even then, God showed his love towards us by sending his own son to die for us. That if anyone would believe in him, they would not perish but have everlasting life. Therefore, I beg you, verse 1 says, by the mercies of God. Look at the mercies of God. And doesn't that just make you want to lay your life down as a living sacrifice? Not a one-time thing. I'll lay my life down once and... No, it's a whole lifestyle. It's a new change of living by the Spirit of God where you've given every part of you, your mind, your intellect, your dreams, your aspirations over to God and His plan and His dreams and His kingdom purposes. And so if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to get on uh, our website and to listen to that study because uh, we just don't have time to do it again. We should just do it again. It was such a, it's so powerful. Uh, but we're moving on, and we're doing one more verse this week. Uh, and then next week, uh, we'll be looking at verses 3 through 13. But uh, as we move on, there's uh, verse 2 where it says, And in light of all of that, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Well, the, the title for the message this morning is, Are You Conforming or Are You Transforming? Are you conforming or are you transforming? According to an executive of an Oakland, California business company, all employees are required to sign in when they come to work each morning, and if late, they're to write down the reason. During bad weather, the reason typically is written down, fog, by the first arrival. With those who come in afterwards, they would simply just put ditto marks under the first uh, inscription. One morning, the first tardy gentleman printed under the excuse column, wife had twins. On the next 18 lines, the latter arrivals dutif <laughs> dutifully noted ditto. Here in verse 2, by using this vague conjunction, the word chi, or the word and that you see there in verse 2, and do not be conformed, Paul leaves open the exact relationship between verse 1 and verse 2. Verse 2 is really subordinate and serves verse 1. It gives the means by which we can carry out this sweeping exhortation of laying our lives down as a living sacrifice. We can present our bodies to the Lord as genuinely holy and acceptable sacrifices. As verse 1 says, this is our, a reasonable service to the Lord. It's a reasonable spirit act of, spiritual act of worship. And so verse uh, 2 uh, gives us the, uh, really the ability to carry out verse 1. Or excuse me, verse 1 gives us the ability to carry out verse 2. As we lay our lives down as living sacrifices, uh, it's because we've been transformed by the renewing of our minds. So, are you conforming or are you transforming? Let's look at the first uh, thing here, conformed. Uh, the Phillips paraphrase, uh, and we have it up here for the screen. Uh, J.B. Phillips was an English man in the time of World War II, had a real heart for the youth, and so he understood they, they were having difficulty reading their Bibles. So he wrote a paraphrase of the entire New Testament, many books of the Old Testament, and it's just a great read. If you're struggling in reading the Bible, check out the New Living Translation or check out J.B. Phillips' paraphrase online. But this is what he says about verse 2. This is his paraphrase of it. He says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. 
but let God remold your minds from within. I love that. And, and since I was a, a, a young man way back in the day, uh, that's been burning in my heart. Don't let the world, Rory, squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. The Greek scholar Zodiades translated this verse like this. Stop being molded by external and fleeting and fading external fashions of this age, but undergo a deep inner change by the qualitative renewing of your mind as the Spirit of God alone can work in you. So, this exhortation, do not be conformed to this world. Being conformed speaks of being fashioned alike or conforming to the same pattern. Phillips gets it right, being squeezed into a mold, essentially. Webster's Dictionary speaks of uh, being conformed in that we're complying with rules or standards of the world. And, and Webster goes on to say, it's when we behave according to the social and acceptable conventions or standards. When we are conforming to the world, it's because there's pressure upon us to be like the world. William Barclay says, we're not to be like the chameleon that takes its color from its surroundings. What are you like? Are you like the chameleon that, you know, wherever you go, you turn, you know, brown if you're on brown, green if you're on green, orange if you're on orange? There was a man named Mullah Nasser Eddin. He was an ancient Persian humorist, and his, he and his son were walking along a country road behind their donkey, who was contentedly nibbling grass along the way. A man, seeing Mulan and his son sweating profusely, remarked, Look how foolish they are walking instead of riding. Hearing that remark, Mulan and his son climbed onto the donkey and rode it to the next village, where they heard an old man exclaim, They ought to be ashamed making that poor old donkey carry two riders. Mulah dismounted and walked while his son rode the donkey to the next village. There Mulah heard uh, this commentary. Poor old man, that boy should be ashamed making his poor old dad walk. Then Mulah got on the donkey while his son dismounted and walked for some distance. Finally, another village made this observation. Look at that old man riding while his son has to walk. How cruel. Mulah rubbed his beard, shook his head, and said to himself, You can't please any of the people all the time. And that's the case. You know, the world is putting so much pressure on you to squeeze you into its mold, to be like it in its way of thinking. And Mulah the humorist got it right. You can't please any of the people all of the time. You're always going to frustrate somebody. And that's why the Proverbs say we're to be God pleasers, not men pleasers. And so do not be conformed to this world. The Greek literally means stop being conformed to the world. That's a real word of rebuke to some of us here in this room. You know, our life has a pattern of being conformed to the people around us and the system and the rules of the world around us. Now, when Paul says stop being conformed to the world, you might be like, well, what, the world? What, the, the globe, the earth? Uh, what exactly is he speaking of there? He's speaking of this age. In fact, world is the word aeon or eon. Uh, stop being conformed to this eon, these years around us, this age that is passing away. 
The scripture refers to the world as the sin-dominating, death-producing realm in which all people, including included in Adam's fall, naturally belong. Everyone around us who have not been transformed by Jesus Christ, watch out. There is such pressure to you to be conformed to their ways. There was pressure on the children of Israel back in the Old Testament. You read in Deuteronomy 18, when they were coming into the promised land, finally after 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness, the Lord speaks to them and says, hey, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abomination of that nation. What God is saying there through Moses is, don't be conformed to this land that you're coming into. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire. That was uh, the uh, child sacrifices that would take place there in, uh, uh, in the land back in the day. Uh, none of you should practice witchcraft a soothsayer, or anyone who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells or a medium or a spiritist. Don't visit the psychics is what he's saying. Those who call upon the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you will dispossess, listen to soothsayers and diviners. But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. The children of Israel were coming into a land full of wicked, wicked people. Witchy women. <laughs> I've been listening to some 60s music while I've been remodeling my basement. Be careful. Someone say dork. Seriously. <laughs> I wasn't raised in the 60s. Okay. Um, he says, watch out. Leviticus, I think it's chapter 16, says, you know what? This, these people that were living in the land before you, I vomited them out of the land for their perversity, for their child sacrifice, for their sexual immorality, for their witchcraft. The land vomited them out. Very graphic language. And if you're not careful, the warning to them all throughout the Old Testament is, I will vomit you out as well. And what happened? Because they didn't obey the Lord. The Lord brought the Assyrians in and he brought the Babylonians in to lead the children of Israel and Judah into captivity, into a, a period of discipline because of their conforming to the world around them. George Bernard Shaw says, if you do things merely because you think some other fool expects you to do them, and he expects you to do them because he thinks you expect him to expect you to do them, it will end in everybody doing what nobody wants to do, which is, in my opinion, a silly state of things. So true. Are you just doing what the world around you wants you to do? John 15, 19, Jesus says so clearly, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, you're not of this eon, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. You need to know right now that your friends and your peers, your buddies, uh, your coworkers, they hate you. If you're a Christian, they just do. They're not telling you that yet, but when you start speaking to them of the truth of who Jesus is, they're gonna hate you their flesh, their kingdom of self 
is going to hate the kingdom of God confronting them in their sin. Ephesians 4, 17 through 20, Paul says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility or worthlessness of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work with all uncleanness and greediness. But you've not so learned Christ. Watch out, you guys. The world is lewd. The world is corrupt. The world is futile. They're minds. And you might just think of those people that are in the world that, that are sinners that are around you. You got to understand their minds corrupt and they want you to do what they're doing. This is not how you've learned Christ. This is not what Jesus has told you to do. John Stott says these two value systems, this world and God's will, are incompatible, even in direct collision with one another. Whether we're thinking about the purpose of life or the meaning of life, about how to measure greatness or how to respond to evil, about ambition, sex, honesty, money, community, religion, or anything else, the two sets of standards diverge so completely that there is no possibility of compromise. Do you hear that? There is no possibility of compromising with the ways of the world. They're in direct opposite of each other. James 4, 4 says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Don't get John wrong here or James wrong here. We're to love the world. We're to serve the people in our community. We're to love our neighbor and bring uh, an ornament to the gospel, bringing the gospel to people. What he's saying is being a friend with the world and, and linking yourselves to the depraved, sinful passions of this life cannot be done. You will be a spiritual harlot, a spiritual adulterer, a spiritual adultress. As Peter says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance. That word conform being used again by Peter. Now that you're a Christian, if you say you're a Christian, I, I'm a Christian, I'm saved, I've been born again. You know, I, I've trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. He's Christ and curios to me. Well, then look at your life. Is there molding? Are you being squeezed into the jello mold of the patterns of society around you? Don't conform yourself to your former lusts. If you've been born again, you cannot go back to doing the things that you did before Christ. In your ignorance, you're not ignorant anymore. You have the Spirit of God living in you. And the Spirit of God is in direct contrast to the ways of the world around you. We're not to give the same shape or outline or contour to the world. We're not to be brought into harmony or brought into a nice accord with the former lusts or the lusts of the world. 
First John, the Apostle John, you know, the, the disciple that Jesus loved, he called himself. He says this, 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. It's been called the three bullets in the gun of the flesh. <laughs> the lust of the world, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. These things will slaughter you if you give in to them, if you love them. Do not love them. All of these things around you, these fleshly, worldly things, the society that we're living in, and its lusts, and its lewdness, and its debauchery, it is all going to die, and if you partake of it, it will end in death for you as well. Certainly physically, possibly a spiritual death. Matthew 13, 22, Jesus tells the parable of the, uh, the sower and the seed. And he gives four different types of ground that the seed is cast out upon. He says, the seed is the word of God. It's the, the message of, of the kingdom as it's being cast out. And he says in Matthew 13, 22, he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and he becomes unfruitful. You know, you may have received the word of God, perhaps with joy, one of these seeds is spoken of. But watch out, just like the weeds and the thorns in your yard, they will choke out the beautiful flower. They will choke out the fruit-producing vine. And don't let the cares of this world, don't let the lusts of this flesh, don't let the pride of this life choke you out. It's a warning. Karl Barth, Karl Barth called... Uh, Christian ethics, the great disturbance, so violently does it challenge, interrupt, and upset the tranquil status quo. Talked about that a few weeks ago. The gospel confronts. The gospel is the great agitator in the washing machine of life. You put the dirty clothes in and it... Have you ever tried to hold on to the agitator while that thing's spinning around? That's how it gets the clothes so sparkly clean. The agitation... As we bring in the word of God, Christian ethics founded upon the gospel because of God's mercies, the world will be agitated. The world will be disturbed. It wants you to conform to it, and God says, spin the other way. God says, go against the flow. Don't let the world conform you in how you dress. Where do you get your fashion sense, guys and girls? I remember uh, back in the day when, you know, all of us high school boys were just coming to Jesus and we were like, you know, we'd yell out Romans 8, 13 whenever we'd see a girl, mortify the flesh, don't look at her, you're lusting, I'm trying not to, you know. And we went around our youth camp the whole time just like, don't look at her, boy, she's a blonde, you know, I'm not, you know. I'm kidding, it wasn't. You're a troublemaker today, aren't you? At least she didn't say dork, okay. And I remember one girl coming up and she's like, look, I've been dressing modestly this whole camp, but you boys are wearing your pants down below your boxer shorts, and how do you think that makes us feel? So it's not just for girls, although styles have changed. So I think guys are a little more in the clear these days. Although the skinny pants, yeah. 
Are you being conformed to the world in how you dress? Michael Hyatt, who's the president and CEO currently of Thomas Nelson Publishers, shares his thoughts about modesty. Uh, and, and he wrote these out after he'd seen the uh, MTV Music Awards. He says, it got me thinking, where are these girls' fathers? Has anyone ever taught them the concept of modesty? Or have all the men in their lives simply exploited them as sex objects? These are not rules about skirt length or the amount of cleavage you can show. I'm just not a very good legalist. These are simply guidelines. I gave these to my girls when they were growing up. Modern culture exerts a powerful influence. Nevertheless, I want them to have something that would transcend current fashion and guide their attire once they were older and perhaps a little wiser. So here they are, his four guidelines for modesty. If you have trouble getting into it or out of it, it's probably not modest. Although Scott says I like to wear my little brother's shirts, so uh, <laughs> this could be for guys too. If you have to be careful when you sit down or bend over, it's probably not modest. If people look at any part of your body before looking at your face, it's probably not modest. If you can see your most private body parts or an outline of those parts under the fabric, it's probably not modest. So God protect us from legalism today as we look at this, but may we also be provoked by grace and by mercy to not be conformed to the world. It's a pattern of fashion. Are you being conformed to the world uh, through corrupt language being part of your vocabulary? Are you being conformed to the world in your sexual behavior or in your dating practices? The number of unmarried couples living together so, uh, soared 12-fold from 430,000 back in 1960 to 5.4 million people in 2005. You know, what used to be called uh, living in sin has, be, has been known as uh, cohabitation or living together. And it's in co uh, direct contradiction to uh, scriptural rules on covenant, covenant of marriage. Uh, and so you can listen to the marriage series if you've got questions about that. But, you know, so much of the church has been conformed to the world's standards of dating, courtship, engagement, and, uh, you know, we as Calvary Chapel, holding to the word of God, we want to battle and confront, uh, you know, what the world's trying to conform us into. Uh, and lots of statistics on this week just been pouring into that uh, issue. Uh, are you being conformed to the world and uh, the way you have fun and recreate? You know, and in a, in a very simple way where it's easy to become idolaters, you know, those of you that are parents are your kids, you know, uh, all, all week, all week long, just involved in sports and recreational hobbies like that. And, uh, you know, 99.9% .9 of their time is given over to recreational activities. Uh, how much is given over to Jesus? That doesn't mean they should quit sports, but perhaps it means you should up the Jesus factor, up the time that you're spending in worship, in the word, and in fellowship. Uh, you know, for those, uh, you know, maybe a little older or in a different season of life, hanging out at the bars, can be very dangerous. It can be a place where you are uh, easily stumbled. And, uh, you know, there's one thing to go in and to go in with a ministry purpose with another brother and to reach out. Uh, I'm not speaking against uh, even the consummation of alcohol at this point. But what I'm saying is if you find yourself in a place where you're surrounded by the world alone, chances are you're going to be stumbled. You're going to fall into sin. And so Galatians 6, 1 is very practical. Don't uh, or let us bear one another's burdens, but consider yourself lest you also be tempted. So hanging out at the bars, hanging out with people that are just, they're wicked. That's where the wicked go, let's be honest. And if that's where you find, you know, your social life, don't be surprised if you're conformed to wickedness. 
What about the movies and the TV and the media? I just recently downloaded an app for my phone. Uh, It's a Focus on the Family uh, app called Plugged In. I encourage you guys to either save this uh, link in your web browser or on your phone, get the app. But uh, Plugged In is a Christian uh, movie review. And Lindsay and I were going on a date a couple weeks ago, and I was like, hey, I want to, you know, here's a movie, you know, I saw the big cardboard cutout for it, it looked funny, starring Dax Shepard, you know, people said he's my lookalike uh, in life, and I was like, hey, yeah, it's a funny, hilarious movie, it said on the front, or funniest movie ever, you know, or something like that, yeah, and it's just the Holy Spirit, for some reason, led me to download this app, and what is, what is Focus on the Family say about this movie? Oh, man, we didn't go see the movie, needless to say. In fact, I cut and pasted the review onto my iPad here, but I'm not going to read it to you because even how Focus on the Family describes it, uh, it's so corrupt. It would stumble. It would stumble you. Uh, I wanted to read it. I was like, yeah, let's do Mars Hill Shock Factor. I want to be Mark Driscoll today. No, not going to do it. The amount of sexual content in this movie is just a popular hit and run, funny movie, Dax Shepard, hilarious movie of the year. Some of you maybe have seen it. And when you read just the amount of sexual conduct or misconduct within the movie, uh, it's even a focus on the family version will stumble you. Uh, And and within that, then you go down to the part on the review where it speaks about the language that's used in this movie. Over 100 F words, 30 S words, handful of A, H, mm, eh, mm, and uh words. God and Jesus' name are misused about 10 times. With God getting mixed up with damn several times, racial and homosexual slurs pepper the dialogue as do crude and rude slang terms for male and female body parts. Another movie called The Watch. Man, the preview, this is going to be hilarious. A bunch of guys doing a neighborhood watch, you know, and, you know, Ben Stiller and Vince Vaughn. Man, you know, sometimes maybe they'll put a clean one out. Honey, let's look at, oh, goodness gracious. Wicked. That's what it is. Wicked. Evil. Again, the sexual content. I can't read it to you. You'd be stumbled. In the language aspect, similar to the hit, but I uh, cut out most of it, but it says there's 70 F words and more than 40 S words. So for those who might say, well, 70 F words is okay, but 71 is my limit, be warned. You know, and that just goes with most of the movies. So is Rory saying, don't go to the theater, as they used to preach in the 1800s? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, don't be conformed to the world. And if you struggle with the language that comes out of your mouth, but you're watching these movies where there's close to 500 curse words within an hour and a half period, don't be surprised if that's what comes out of your mouth. Men, if you struggle with lust and pornography, but you go to movies where this type of a, of a focus on the family, recomm- I don't know who the guy is that watches these, by the way. I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> but you struggle with lust and this is what you watch. Don't kid yourself. Your sanctification process will be like trying to sprint in quicksand. It will be nearly not happening. So wives, hold your husbands accountable. Husbands, love your wives. Present her before the Lord on that day as pure. 
And I'm speaking as a guy that's convicted this week. So don't be conformed. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed. So we've looked at conform. Now we're looking at transformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now don't be confused. Neither Paul nor I am preaching moralism or behavior modification. What I and Paul are preaching is a heart that can be changed and renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit when you're born again and you will be set apart not through works, but through a love relationship with Jesus that responds with works. I'm not preaching do better. I'm preaching love Jesus more. And as you love Jesus more, you'll say, I cannot in good conscience go see this movie. No matter who's in it. I just can't do it. I can't go to this place. I can't say this word. And if I do say it, God forgive me. That was sin. Confess it, repent by the Spirit. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed is the word metamorphosis. Does that sound familiar to you? We get our English word metamorphosis from this. The Greek word speaks of being strikingly changed from one form to another. It means to change in composition, to change in structure from the inside out, especially... Webster says, by supernatural means. I love my pastor's testimony, Rob Verdine. You know, he was voted, uh, you know, I <laughs> can't remember how he put it. It was like voted by his peers least likely to become a Christian or something like that back in high school. His senior year, he drove by the school while everyone was outside, honking his horn, burning rubber, and flipping everybody off while cussing at them and peeling out in the street. Big into drugs, big into partying, big into sex. But his sister was praying for him, and he got saved. He was working as an electrician apprentice at the time, and he would go to work, and pretty soon the boss just throws down his tools and says, all right, what's wrong with you? What did I do to you? What are you talking about? Well, normally, you know, you're marching around here, and you're like cussing and telling a lot of dirty jokes and stuff, and you haven't cussed in over two weeks. And Rob says, you know, I didn't even know that I wasn't cussing. I'd just been completely transformed. I'd been completely changed. A metamorphosis had happened. My other pastor, Ken Odegaard at Calvary Chapel in Lakeview, he was into drugs of all shapes and sizes, into black magic. He had an out-of-body experience where uh, he was led all through town and eventually back to his bathroom mirror where he saw his face in the mirror in his, in his out-of-body experience, where in black magic, if you see yourself in the mirror, like you're going to die soon or something like that. And God saved him, brought him out of that transformed him, changed his life. Mike McIntosh is a Calvary Chapel pastor who was high on LSD the first time he went to church and he was freaking out because he thought half of his head had been blown off. And so he's at church and he's hysterical. Ah, half my head is gone. Ah, whoa, someone hold him down. Drag him into the back room and talk to him about Jesus. He gets saved and actually for quite a long time still thought half of his head was gone, but his mind had been transformed over time, by the Holy Spirit, he's a Calvary Chapel pastor now. Be transformed in a radical striking one form to another. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Have you been born again? Have all things become new? If not, 
It's good to just look at yourself. Have I really been born again? Have I really surrendered my life to Jesus as my Lord, as my master? Or do I look like everybody else out there? Maybe I'm a nice guy, but the Mormon's a nice guy. The Muslim's a nice guy. The Jehovah's Witness, nice guy. I'm not talking nice guy. I'm talking about have you been born again and been transformed into a new creation in Jesus Christ? Have you had a metamorphosis take place? This word speaks of the frog who starts out as a tadpole. Starts out as a little, I don't even know what, you know? Floats around, has a leg pop out, has another arm pop out, has a knife. I don't even know how it works. But pretty soon, you know, he's popping around. It speaks of the butterfly who started out as a worm, caterpillar, legs, no legs, I don't know. Climbs up a tree, makes himself a sleeping bag, pops out in a couple days, and he's flying around. One guy defined a, a butterfly as, you know, a worm that's earned its wings. Only with Christians, these worms, we don't earn it. We don't earn anything. We spend time with Jesus and wings appear. Are you spending time with Jesus? Have wings appeared? <clears throat> it just seemed right. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. You might, you might, you know, let's face it, you're getting old. Your bones are decaying. You're, you're about to fall over. But you could have the youth and the vigor in your heart of a 17-year-old. You're being renewed. Your inward man is being renewed day by day. So don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does this transformation, this more metamorphosis happen? Happens by renewing your mind, by having an extreme home makeover take place up in here, down in here. It speaks of a renovation. It speaks of restoring freshness and having vigor and perfection. It speaks of being regenerate and, and being revived. The renewing of your mind. Now, mind oftentimes is used to speak of, you know, what's the intellect that's going on in your head. But more often than not, in the New Testament, it, it speaks of the heart. It speaks of the whole soul. Have your heart, have your soul, have your brain renewed. When Jesus is asked what the greatest of all of the laws is, Jesus says, you, sh you should love the Lord with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. There's a constant battle for your mind between the spirit and the three golden silver bullets or whatever they are of the flesh from 1 John, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of um, the world and the pride of life. You know what? Whoever has control of your mind has control of your life. Douglas Moo says, Paul points out that people's rejection of God results in them turn, being turned over to a worthless, debased mind, one that's unqualified in assessing the truth about God and the world that he's made. Romans 1, remember it? Now the purpose of our being transformed by the renewing of the mind is that this state of debased and worthlessness be reversed that now we would approve the will of God. And maybe right now, just you and the Lord, you be honest. Do you approve the will of God? Or is his will inconvenient? John tells us that the commandments of God, they are not burdensome. It's a joy to keep the commandments of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, though we walk in the flesh, yeah, we're going to live in this world. We've still got fleshly bodies. We don't war against the flesh. And in this battle, you go down to the bottom, it says we're to cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. 
And we're to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Bring those thoughts into captivity. Tell the Lord to arrest them as they come into your mind. Ephesians 4, 23 says that we're to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Put off the former conduct of the old man that grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, but be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. It's a good thing to wake up in the morning and maybe before your feet hit the ground to say, Lord God, I give you my life afresh this morning. Lord, I take off the old man. I put on the new man. Renew my mind. Spend time in the Bible before anything else gets to you. Give him the first fruits of your day. Renew your mind. Being renewed can be thought of as reprogramming your consciousness. Those of you that are computer techies, you know what that means. Reprogram. Have the Holy Spirit reprogram. A couple real quick practical ways to have your mind programmed. Have your mind transformed. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren... Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. What are you meditating on? What are you thinking about? Those things that are true, those things that are pure, those things that are noble, those things that are of good report, if it doesn't fit into those categories, Stop conforming yourself to the things of the world. Stop meditating upon it. Stop watching that channel. Stop watching that show. Stop being conformed. And so watch what you allow to enter your mind. Number two, just a practical help here. Set your mind on the things that are heavenly and eternal. We looked at this in Ephesians 5 this week, dealing with husbands. That husbands are to sanctify his wife, Ephesians 5.25, and cleanse his wife with the washing of water by the word. Husbands, it is your responsibility to wash your wife with the Bible. If you want help with that, talk to me. I'll help get you started and encourage you in that. It's difficult to start if you haven't done that for the majority of your marriage. But start today. Wash your wife, cleanse her so that like Jesus, you can present her to Jesus, a glorious church, a glorious bride, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Wash your mind with the word. Colossians 3, 1 through 3, and just for the sake of time, we're kind of hopping through a lot of this. But uh, Colossians 3, 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And having put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who's created him. You guys, you need a renovation. I need a renovation. Or we're going to look just like the world. Titus says that we are washed and regenerated and renewed by the Holy Spirit. Peter says, and I like this in 1 Peter 1.13, he says, Gird up the loins of your mind. You like that? You know, back in the day, they wore robes and stuff, but when they needed to run, they'd like tie their robes up around them so that they could move those legs and really sprint. He says, gird up your loins, gird up the loins of your mind. Don't let your, your mind get loose. Don't let your eyes wander, let your mind wander. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're closing up. So we have conformed, transformed, and now we have proved proven. 
prove, is to recognize as genuine after examination to deem worthy. As we conform ourselves, or excuse me, transform ourselves and have our mind renewed, we're going to be able to prove what God's will is. We're going to be able to argue the truth. We're going to be able to witness the things of God and speak and testify for him. We're going to be able to know what God's will is for our life. And once we conform, excuse me, transform through this renewing of the mind, we're going to be able to see God's acceptable, perfect will. Real quickly, look at Psalm 19, 7 through 11. And we know that this transformation comes by being in the scriptures, by reading the Bible. By, you know, uh, it's, it's referred to the washing of the water by the word. And I love what Psalm 19, 7 says, the law of the Lord, that's the Bible. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired than are they than gold, yeah, than much fine gold, sweeter than honey and honeycomb. Moreover, by them, your servant is warned. You will be able to know what is the good and perfect, acceptable will of God as you spend time in the law, in the commandments, in the word, in the precepts, in the scripture. You'll see your mind being renewed. You'll see the metamorphosis taking place. You'll be able to prove what is right. And as Alistair Begg said this week as I was listening to him, God's way is the right way. He's Scottish. And the right way is God's way. It's his way. And how do we know his way? But by the revelation of himself to us in the scriptures. In closing, let's read verses 1 and 2 of Romans in the Phillips paraphrase. And uh, worship team, come on up right now. Phillips paraphrase. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God. I think this is on the, uh, the screen there. But just listen. With eyes wide open to the mercies of God. I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good, meets all his demands, and moves toward the goal of true maturity. As John Stott says, only a vision of his mercy will inspire us to present our bodies to him and allow him to transform us according to his will. You want to know what his will is? The will of God, 1 Thessalonians 5, is your sanctification. The will of God is that you're not like the world, that you're not conformed to the world. And the will of God, Peter tells us, is not that any should perish and go to hell, but that all should come to repentance. And the good news today is God has called you here to say, repent. If your life looks more like the world than it looks like Jesus, repent. Say, I see it. It's gross. It's wrong. Lord God, you're right. And I want to be linked with you. I want to stand with you. Change me. 
If you've never been saved, then right now you can say, Lord, save me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. I see the filthy conduct that I've been partaking of. I want none of it. I want you and all of your purity and all of your holiness and all of your rightness. He doesn't want you to perish. But if you continue on in this aeon, in this eon, in this age, following the worldly passions, you'll die. You'll perish, both in this life and the life to come. And so I plead you, be reconciled to God. The best way that you know how today, say, Lord, forgive me of my sins, wash me clean. And you can come to the table today with all of us and grab the, the bread and be reminded of how much Jesus loved you, that his body was broken and just ripped apart for you. And you can drink the juice and remember that his blood was spilled and shed, that you can be forgiven of your conformity to this world. And he'll empower transformation and metamorphosis. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.